Blog Talk Radio. From the Carolinas to the world via the World Wide Web, this is Redeeming Truth Radio, and this is your host for the next 30 minutes as we seek to take an expedition for truth, yours truly, Pastor Brian Chilton. And we thank you for joining us today on our podcast. Again, hope you're doing well wherever you may be. And uh, today, we are celebrating Easter. Of course, this is the Monday after Easter. Uh, this uh, past week has uh, been a fantastic week in the Lord. Um, had a lot of great blessings this past week. Uh, uh, t- well, Tuesday, is, I guess you could say it would be bittersweet. Uh, Tuesday, we celebrated the life of um, uh, Helen Miner, uh, which uh, was a great saint of God. She was a mother and grandmother to uh, many of the of our uh, congregants at Huntsville Baptist Church and and uh, celebrated her life and the hope of the resurrection that we find at Easter. Uh, of course, Wednesday night had a regular Bible study, and then Thursday we had a powerful tenebrae service there at the church. Uh, Friday we had uh, I, I took ple- I took part in a uh, Good Friday service. This is the first time I have. Uh, well, unfortunately, I have to say it's the first time I participated in this event uh, at uh, FBC Yakinville, 
which is uh, near our location. Uh, we we celebrated Good Friday with them and uh, with seven other pastors. Now, the uh, our director of missions, Dennis Shaw, told us that uh, that now guys, you only have about five minutes <laughs> each. Uh, because now, if every preacher had gone the full length of a message, then we would probably still be there celebrating Good Friday. But uh, it was a joy and privilege to be part of that, and uh, grateful and thankful to uh, for the invitation of the First Baptist Church of Yakinville, North Carolina, allow me to take part in their services. And then, of course, Sunday, uh, Sunday or yesterday, we had uh, a very good service. Uh, there at uh, Huntsville Baptist Church, we had uh, a good, uh, excuse me, a uh, sunrise service that was absolutely fantastic. We had several people to show up. Uh, it was, we thought it was going to be threatening as it pertains to rain. Uh, it was damp outside, but uh, thank, thankfully the Lord saw fit to hold off the rain till after we came inside. And sure enough, uh, during the time of Sunday school, it began to rain. So we were thankful that the Lord saw fit to hold off the rain because uh, we had a lot of uh, electric equipment or electronics, uh, a lot of chairs and everything uh, surrounding a, a huge cross in front of the church. And so it was just a great time in the Lord. And, of course, we had uh, Easter Sunday services, which uh, we had, gosh, we had a, a great attendance there and uh so i mean the church was packed and and i was thankful for that um so anyhow it was just a great day in the lord just a great week and uh during my personal devotions i just have to say that i felt the presence of god uh in a very mighty powerful way and and i tell you there are a lot of things in life that try to distract us from god's presence there are a lot of issues in life that uh, try to um, take us away from the peace that we can have in the Lord. But, uh, you know, I I have tried for the past couple of weeks and, and will continue to do so to try to have a stronger devotional life with the Lord. Because I want to tell you something. I have found that when I spend an appropriate time with God, I feel better uh, overall. I feel more at peace. I feel um, in the arms of Jesus, I guess you could say, but I, I feel more at peace with the world. Not that things in the world are good by any means. Not that um, there's not a lot of things that should concern us, because there are. But I found that when we spend time in the presence of God, that we begin to have a peace that... Uh, that only comes from the Holy Spirit of God. And so I hope that you felt God's presence this past Holy Week, and uh, I hope that you will continue to do so as we move ahead in 2016. Um, a couple announcements to make. Uh, number one, um, as we mentioned before, uh, if there are any announcements prior to the... Um, opening segment then obviously that that didn't come from us that comes from uh, uh the um folks at blogtalkradio.com and uh and so that's them uh also i uh, do have another thing to tell you about uh that's the possible name change coming up here in the next few weeks 
Um, the changes are going to be gradual. Uh, and even as early as next week, I may very well try to change the format to this show. So if you if you come back next week and you see the show titled Bellator Christie, understand that uh, it's the same show. We've just changed formats, and this is a, uh, in an effort to uh, synthesize the ministry that I have online. Uh, the website uh, has been renamed at uh, bellatorchristie.com. It can be found there at bellatorchristie.com. The old link still works. If you type in pastorbrianchilton.wordpress.com, it'll take you to bellatorchristie.com. But uh, Bellator Christie, Latin for Soldier of Christ, that is the name that I have uh, prayed about and chosen to go with uh, for the future ministry, uh, for, for my future online ministry, I guess you say. So, uh, anyhow, that'll be coming up very soon, maybe as early as next week. Uh, the way it looks right now, I thought about having a time change or something of that sort, but really, this this time spot seems to work right now. It may be that eventually we change days, I don't know, but uh, you're mainly going to see the change come in the name of the program, and that's just simply going to match the website, uh, try to get everything um, in, con, con, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, synthesized uh, or um, brought together. Uh, had another word, but I can't think of it, so but that's okay. Uh, anyhow, if you are in the northwestern area of North Carolina, I also have a couple of uh, speaking engagements that I need to mention to you today. Coming up uh, next Sunday, April 3rd at 7 o'clock p.m., I will be at Westfield, North Carolina, and joining the good folks at Albion Baptist Church. Uh, they're going to have their annual spring revival, and I've been invited to participate in those series of meetings. So coming up next Sunday, April 3rd, 7 p.m. at Albion Baptist Church in Westfield, North Carolina, I will be with the good folks up there. So if you are in that area, if you're in southern virginia or northern uh northwest north carolina come out and join us for a great series of meetings and uh, we'll be with uh pastor uh ricky easter and the good folks at uh albion baptist church now also coming up on the 24th and 25th of april uh i will be um near my stomping grounds uh i will be in yakinville north carolina at bethel baptist church and that will be 7 o'clock both evenings. That will be April 24th and 25th, uh, 7 p.m. at Bethel Baptist Church. So if you are in the area, uh, we encourage you to come join us for a great series of meetings uh, there at Bethel Baptist Church. Uh, so so I'll give you more information on the the latter of the two series uh but coming up next sunday we'll, i'll be up at uh, albion baptist church 24th and 25th at bethel baptist church so uh come on out and join us if you are in the area all right today we want to uh also i i have something else uh, uh, by means of a prayer request i want you to remember uh this uh afternoon and i uh that is uh, for the people of Lahore, Pakistan. Now, obviously, we've heard about the terrorist attacks that take pl that took place in uh, Brussels this past week, and and we were aghast 
to find the details of, of that situation. But there is another terror attack that took place yesterday, and our Christian brothers and sisters were the target of this attack, and this happened in Lahore, Pakistan. Uh, I have an acquaintance online who lives in the area, and um, and anyhow, this person was affected, affected and impacted by this attack. Apparently, uh, there were some bombs that were placed in a local um, um, a local park where Christians normally, um, I guess you could say, commune in that area. They it's it's, it's a it's a kid, children, children's park. Uh, it has a playground and many other things, and uh, it's just a, lot, a regular park. But many Christians were out in this time, um, celebrating Easter, celebrating the just the, being in the joy of the Lord, just going out. They weren't hurting anybody. They were not doing anything wrong. They were just simply out celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, enjoying time with their families, and then this terrorist attack took place where these bombs were set in place and were set to designate at a time where many people were in the park. Uh, last check, I heard that there were as many as 63 people who had died from this attack and many countless others who were injured. Um, this may be in an area it just doesn't get as much recognition as some of the other things we hear about in our times, but obviously these people were affected uh, and were devastated by this attack. So let's remember the people, uh, especially the victims and the families of the victims, especially of those who were hurt in the attack at Lahore, Pakistan. All right, uh, let's. We better jump into the uh, the the uh, topic at hand, or we're going to run out of time. If you'd like to call in, our number is three two three seven eight four nine six one seven. Again, that is three two three seven eight four nine six one seven. We'll take your calls towards the end of the broadcast. Uh, but of course, to call in, you'll need to call in at the live show, which is of course every Monday at twelve noon Eastern time. Last week, we began what I thought was going to be a three-part series on this podcast, but we'll, we'll really be able to wrap it up in two segments. And so we'll wrap up the segment today. Uh, obviously, we're not going to go into the detail that we did on the website, so I encourage you to go and uh, check out the website at bellatorchristi.com. But uh, I want to just briefly go over some of the issues that I discussed uh, on this, uh, on these uh, these articles that I've shared, uh, we last week we're talking about the case for the empty tomb. That being that the this is the belief that the tomb of Jesus of Nazareth was really found to be empty on that first Easter Sunday. Okay, last week we demonstrated the. Uh, the failure of the opposing hypotheses, uh, other hypotheses that have been given and granted by people like Bart Ehrman, uh, John Dominic Croson of uh, Jesus Seminar fame, and I have uh, an interesting history 
with Jesus seminar. Uh, if, if you've ever heard my testimony, you'll know what I'm talking about. But anyhow, they hold to some hypotheses that really do not hold merit. They don't hold water. Now, we've demonstrated in our last episode that, that such, um, such arguments are, are, are really, I guess you'd say, fraudulent, void, uh, not worth anything, I guess you'd say. Um, and But we also went forward to demonstrate the historicity of the empty tomb, indicating that the um, early church held to... Or, or let me go back and say that uh, that the Romans granted clemency in certain um, times. They they granted clemency to even families of crucifixion victims to allow the families to bury their dead, especially around holidays and especially during the time of Caesar Tiberius. Now we noted that uh, during the time of Caligula that clemency went downhill quite a bit okay so we we all we we noted that uh, it was believed early on that the, the church or 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 let me say we showed the historicity of the burial practices that's what i'm trying to get out my mind's not working i think i'm still tired from the easter festivities uh so just bear with me but um we demonstrated the the burial practices matched that of first century Israel, the clemency of Rome allows for the burial of Jesus to be granted especially by Joseph of Arimathea since he was one of the Sanhedrin. So that's what we demonstrated last week. Now today I want to take a go in a different route. I want to look at the biblical and theological arguments for the empty tomb. That being said, when we look at the biblical argument, we want to ask, did the early church really believe that Jesus walked out of the grave and that the tomb was empty? And the second thing we want to look uh, at in this, podca- in this podcast is the theological argument. Uh, is, did they put a lot of theology, the early church that is, did they place a lot of theology around the empty tomb really being empty? And so that's where we're going in today's podcast. First of all, let's look at the biblical argument for accepting the empty tomb hypothesis. Did the early church believe that the tomb was empty? Well, scholars hold that strewn throughout the pages of the New Testament are ancient traditions. These may be uh, traditions like formulations found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, excuse me, chapter 15, verses 3 through 7. Again, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 7. Uh, <clears throat> other uh, traditions are found in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-six, Acts 22, uh, excuse me, I can't get my words out today, Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 36, chap- Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, uh, and uh, so on and so forth. So in Philippians two, in Philippians two, I just uh, preached a message on this just the other day. Uh, we find a hymn, a hymn uh, called the Hymn of Christ that dates back to the earliest times. Romans four twenty five, uh, Philippians two eight, First Timothy two six, and First Peter three eighteen. Uh, 
in addition to Matthew 27, 26 through 56, Mark 15, 20 through 47, Luke 22, 26 through 56, and John 19, 16 through 42, all represent ancient traditions that date to the time of the earliest church. Michael Lacona adds that adds Romans 6 to the forum, and of the numerous traditions listed, uh, I especially want to look uh, <clears throat> at two that most directly relate to the empty tomb hypothesis. The original ending, the early ending, I guess you'd say, of Mark 16, 1-8, and also 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3-7. through 7. Now, scholarly consensus, along with evidence in the earliest manuscripts, indicates that Mark Gos- Mark's gospel originally ended at Mark 16, 8. Whereas Mark 16, 1-8 does not enjoy the consensus that some of the other traditions hold, Michael Icona notes that, that there appear to be close similarities between the four-line formula in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-5 and other passages such as Mark 15, 37 through 16, 7, and Acts 13, 28 through 31. In other words, what we can argue in this regards is that Mark 16, 1 through 7 holds nearly the same force being an early tradition that 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5 seems to enjoy. Seeing 1 Corinthians um, uh, 15, 3 through 7 enjoys strong consensus uh, and I do need to make a little change there. I've put 3 through 5, but it's supposed to be 3 through 7. Uh, seeing that that passage enjoys strong consensus that the text relates a tradition that back, dates back to the earliest church, a fact that will be addressed later, uh, it, it shows us that the church held the tomb to be empty. Because in Mark 16.2, Mark notes that the women went to the tomb. The women obviously noticed that the tomb was empty. Okay, So if this is the case, this holds every bit of weight that 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 3 through 7, or 3 through 9 does, that it enjoys. And if that's the case, then Mark 16, 1 through 8, demonstrates to us an early tradition that the church found that the earliest Christians found the tomb to be empty and that Jesus was not there. He had risen just as he said he was going to. Now, the women left the tomb with great fear. We see that in Mark 16.7. If you review the information provided in the text, you see that the women came to the tomb Acknowledging that Jesus was indeed buried in a tomb, the women entered the tomb expecting to see the body of Jesus. The women had an angelophany. In other words, they had a vision of the angels, uh, which was a real manifestation of these angels, in the tomb where it was announced that Jesus had risen, noting that again, the tomb was empty. The women left with great fear because the tomb was empty. Thus, Mark's original ending demands the existence of an empty tomb. Now, it was noted earlier that 1 Corinthians 15, 3-7 holds universal uh, scholarly consensus as being an ancient tradition. Now, the, does this tradition in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-7 hold any information for us? Well, it does. It's of great historical value. 
The tradition also allows for the empty tomb hypothesis. The tradition notes that, and I quote, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, then to the twelve. The structure of the tradition assumes the tomb of Jesus was empty. Craig, William Lane Craig, notes that the reference to the burial of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-7 makes it very difficult to regard Jesus' burial in the tomb as unhistorical given the age of the tradition, being AD 30-36, for there was not sufficient time for legend concerning the burial uh, to significantly accrue. End of quote. It notes that Jesus physically died, that Jesus was physically buried, and that Jesus physically arose and appeared to many of the disciples, many of the early Christians that we know and cherish in the pages of Scripture. So, did the earliest church believe that Jesus had risen from the dead and that his tomb was empty? The answer is overwhelmingly yes. They did. They held that the tomb of Jesus was empty. And let's say, if the tomb was really not empty, and they were going along saying all this to people, then it would have made the early church look very foolish, and Christianity would have ended before it ever got off the ground. So uh, I think that holds some credence and weight as it pertains to the empty tomb hypothesis. Well, what about the theological argument for accepting the empty tomb hypothesis? Well, thus far, the, the, uh, this paper has evaluated the evidence for the empty tomb hypothesis. Uh, William Lane Craig notes that the evidence for the empty tomb is, I quote, so compelling that even a number of Jewish scholars, such as Pinchas Lapide and Giza Vermes, have declared themselves convinced on the basis of the evidence that Jesus' tomb was found empty, end of quote. However, one must ask, what value does the empty tomb hypothesis hold for the overall scope of Christian theology? Well, I believe we can find three significant areas that uh, theology, uh, Christian theology, holds to the tomb being empty. First of all, the empty tomb serves to demonstrate the divine nature of Christ. Uh, it serves as evidence for the resurrection. Now, people were going around telling everyone in Jerusalem the very place where Jesus died and the very place where he was buried and the very place that he was purported to have risen. They were speaking that, uh, about Jesus' resurrection in the very city where Jesus had been buried. And if they were going around saying that Joseph of Arimathea buried Jesus, the Roman guards protected his tomb, but Jesus still got out and he's alive, then don't you think people would have gone to check the tomb to verify their claims? I, you know, any thinking person would. In fact, Peter and John had to go see for themselves when Mary Magdalene told them that Jesus had risen from the dead. Come and see this. Come and see where they laid them. And what they do, they ran to the tomb. The scriptures state that uh, John outran Peter, but waited for Peter to go in before he actually entered the tomb himself. 
people would have gone to this tomb. Everyone would have known where this tomb was located since it belonged to Joseph of Arimathea, a very prominent person in the Sanhedrin. Millard Erickson denotes that, I quote, to Jews of Jesus' time, the resurrection would have signified divinity. We must ask about the evidence for it. Norm Geisler, Norman Geisler states that while the empty tomb in and of itself is not proof of the resurrection, it is an indispensable prerequisite to the evidences, the physical appearances of Jesus. And that's so true. It makes no sense to say, hey, I've seen the literal Christ stand before me if his literal body is in a tomb. That doesn't make for a ground of authenticity that doesn't hold weight logically at all. Those who hold this spiritual resurrection of Christ, it, they have to ask themselves, do they really think that people would have bought into this resurrection idea if um, if Jesus was still in the in the tomb? The tomb was emptied. He is risen. And that makes all the difference in the world. Secondly, the empty tomb provides evidence that God will fulfill the teachings and promises given through Christ, especially that Christ will one day return. Paul says it best in 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen: If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. But if Christ has been risen... Now, Paul gives this statement understanding that the opposite is also true. If Christ has been risen, then your faith is valuable based in reality, and you are not in your sins. You are forgiven of your sins. Lastly, theologically, the entire basis of the Christian faith rests upon the resurrection of Christ. If Christ has been raised from the dead, then the Christian faith is verified. If Christ was raised from the dead, then obviously one clearly concludes that the tomb which housed Jesus' body was emptied of his physical presence. The, the empty tomb hypothesis holds great weight historically. It really does. It holds great weight historically, biblically, and theologically. Secular naturalism cannot account for the tomb of Jesus being emptied. While it's impossible to know anything with absolute certainty, I think it is highly probable that Jesus' tomb was found empty on the first Easter Sunday. But the empty tomb was not what transformed the disciples. The stone being rolled away and taken away was not what transformed the disciples. Those linen cloths lying in the tomb, in that cave, which served as a tomb, is not what changed the disciples. Rather, it was a personal encounter with the risen Jesus. That is what truly transformed them and changed them. The empty tomb also reminds humanity that Jesus came, Jesus left, and one day, praise God, he will return. This is Pastor Brian Chilton for Redeeming Truth Radio. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. If we have any calls, we'll take them right after this commercial break. If not, we will conclude our podcast. God bless you. I hope you have a good Easter Monday. And remember, Christ is risen indeed, and this truth 
will absolutely transform your life. God bless. Southern Evangelical Seminary presents The Defense Never Rests, the National Conference on Christian Apologetics, coming to Charlotte, North Carolina, October 13 through 15, 2016. Come be equipped to defend the faith. This three-day event features over 100 sessions from more than 50 speakers, including many of the world's top Christian thinkers, such as Lee Strobel, author of many books, including The Case for Christ, Jay Sekulow, chief counsel for the American Center for Law and Justice, SES co-founder Norman Geisler, and SES president Richard Land, veteran apologist Josh McDowell, Frank Turek, Jay Warner Wallace, SES professors, and many more. Join us for America's largest and longest-running apologetics conference. Thursday is a dedicated day for women only. Register now and save. It's time to get off the sidelines and get into the game. The defense never rests. To learn more, visit ses.edu. Southern Evangelical Seminary. On campus, online, on mission.